0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right, a good audible good morning. It's always a good way to start. Whether you're here in person or online or joining us in one of our locations, it is a good morning to be a church community together. My prayer for us this morning is that we would know Jesus and become more like Him together in community, that we would know Jesus more and become more like Him together in community. And there's invitation in that wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, whatever the week is held, whatever the morning is held, we're here doing this together as a community. That's great. Speaking of which, welcome back to Base Camp. So if you are with us last week, we arrived at Base Camp as this important place in between legs of an extreme adventure, this extreme adventure we're on called following Jesus and being a church together. And we had a bit of a bridge week between a month of what we've called our solemn assembly as a church and spending a few weeks together here at base camp, listening to what God is saying to us, taking inventory of some themes that he's putting on our heart as a church as we set out on whatever the next leg of our journey together is as a church. So we're going to continue that work. We've got more work to do over the weeks to come. And we're starting a few weeks that we're calling We Are Here, where we're diving deeper into some of those themes together. Today... Spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about Jesus quite a bit and what it means to put him at the center of our community and actually orient ourselves and shape ourselves as a community intentionally around the idea of what? Transforming to become more like him as we know him more and more. Because our journey isn't just a spatial or a temporal journey, is it? It's a journey of transformation into becoming more and more like the God we are knowing and who loves us and who's calling us closer to him. And in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about some other important themes, like what does it mean to be a community that embraces the ministry of reconciliation in our midst? What does it mean to be a community that understands how Jesus used power and is trying to use it like he did within our community? And what does it mean to be a community that is led by the Holy Spirit and not by our own strength? So that's a bit of the map that we're putting before us for the weeks to come. This is, a, in case you haven't noticed, a winding journey, isn't it? It isn't just a linear one. It isn't just up and to the right, this journey of following Jesus and being a church community together. So we need tools for this journey. We need more than just a straight line map. We kind of need a topographical map. We need to look at the topography around us. We need to pull our heads sometimes up above sea level and take an inventory and a scan of what's happening in the environment around us, like any good extreme adventurer would. And as we zoom out all the way, we can even look at church history and the cycles that we've observed over time, dating back to when Jesus came to be with us, lived, died, was resurrected, and the early church was born. About 500 years after that, the Roman Empire fell in 476 AD. No one thought that was coming, including the church. And it changed the church. It changed the way we engage with the world. We entered into a period of another 500 years. And somewhere around 1100, the next great reformation of the church happened. It's referred to by historians as the Great Schism, and gave way to the birth of the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. And about 500 years after that, a group of what would be referred to now as protesters, the Protestant Reformation was born out of the desire to, hey, let's get back to what we learned in scripture. And let's empower people to engage with scripture. And at that same time, not too long after that, another little reformation, a radical reformation, where we draw our roots as Anabaptists was born, saying, hey, that's a great idea. Let's get back to scripture. But when we do that, what do we see? We see it pointing to Jesus. We wanna get back to Jesus. Like our early church ancestors, and all of these reformations, they weren't just born out of, hey, fun and, and good times. They were born out of testing and challenge and pain and actually, in a lot of times, death. But God being the kind of God he is, he's using them. He's working through them always. And you don't have to be a historian or a conspiracy theorist to realize, hey, we're in a bit of a moment of reformation at this cultural moment as well. Not only are we about 500 years after the last great reformation in the church, but it's clear if we look around us, for decades now, we're in a generation where the world around us is changing. This environment that we sometimes refer to as Christendom, the notion of cultural Christianity kind of having the center square, it's crumbling around us in the West. In some places, it already has. If you look at even just us here in Canada, where most of us are, The landscape is changing. Even in the last 20 years, the percentage of people in our midst who would say they have no religious or spiritual affiliation has more than doubled since 2001, from about 16% of the population to about a third of the population. So these are just neutral facts in one sense. In another sense, they're a significant opportunity for us to pay attention to what God is doing in our cultural moment and what he's inviting us into as part of a new reformation that centers on Jesus. takes away the veneer of Christendom, of cultural Christianity, and allows us to have an authentic relationship with him individually and as a church. And of course, it doesn't just stop there all around us. COVID and being a pandemic generation has exposed in a lot of ways things that were already happening in our midst, hasn't it? It's heightened tension around justice issues, Exposing a lot of hard things, but also hopefully moving us in a good direction as well. Things like racial reconciliation and climate change, you name it. It's exposed our hunger as humans to find our identity, to find value. It's exposed a loneliness epidemic. Did you know that, based on various research that's been done in recent years, somewhere in the vicinity of 60% of adults would register extreme or severe loneliness. And COVID has exposed that in us. It's left us with this sense of being polarized and divided in a lot of ways, hasn't it too? And technology hasn't helped. We're being discipled into echo chambers where we engage with people who think and feel oftentimes the same way we do. And we're not being equipped with the tools to actually discourse and dialogue and engage with and learn from one another especially in our differences. It's interrupted the inertia for us as a church, hasn't it too? Not just the Meeting House, but churches around the world. And inertia being interrupted can be scary. We feel a sense of jarring loss, and that's real. But it's also a significant opportunity if we have eyes to see it, to step off of the treadmill long enough to realize, wait a second. Maybe we have been off track and need to reset our GPS in some ways. Maybe God's trying to get our attention. Maybe we're coming face-to-face with the realization that we have this longing that some of the things that we do as churches haven't been producing the fruit that we kind of desire. Are we willing to just be honest and name that? and Not despair about that, but say, hey, this is an opportunity for us at this moment in our history. And maybe it's a bit of a mini-reformation for us as a church, too, at The Meeting House. To let go of some things as we bring our head above water, and review where we've been. And to chart a hopeful path forward. Pick up some new things, maybe along the way. Continue some things that are beautiful. Do all those things. So last week, we engaged in a few base camp essential practices, if you remember. We reoriented the purpose of our transformational journey towards Jesus. We said, that's our why. That's what we're doing here. And we did a few practices. We celebrated. We reminded ourselves who God is and his faithfulness. We lamented and repented. Remember, we we drift off track, and the act of repentance is moving back towards Jesus together and reestablishing our GPS to him. And we invited one another on a journey moving forward. So today, we're going to continue those base camp practices. We've just been surveying the environment around us. But we also need a paradigm to navigate this tricky terrain that we're in. We know where our destination is, but we need some tools. We need a mental map. We need a rubric to navigate with each other. Guess who gives us one? That's right, Jesus. He gives us the paradigm. If you've got your Bible with you, I'd love you to open it up to John 17 together. You can open up a Bible app on your phone. We're going to put the scripture up on the slide as well. So the context here in the prayer we'll read of Jesus in John 17, he's just in the previous chapter been preparing his disciples for his physical departure from the earth. And he's saying, guys, it's going to be better if I go because I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit who will always be with you. And guess what? He's my spirit. And he's going to point you to truth. And you're going to be scattered, and you're going to face trials, and you're going to face difficult times, he says right at the end of chapter 16. But take heart because I've overcome the world. I'm with you. And we're going to pick up Jesus' prayer in John 17, verse 20. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. Of course, he's talking to his father. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. Jesus is saying here that his goal for us, his hope for us is both perfect unity with one another, but oneness with him at the same time. And we see this beautiful interplay between those two things. He's painting a picture for us of shaping a community where becoming one with him and moving towards him brings us closer together in unity as a community. Those two things are happening simultaneously at the same time. And he's saying that, as we experience unity together, we'll understand what it actually means to be in him. And it sounds like there's a lot on the line here. Jesus is positioning this unity and oneness in him and movement towards him together as a community as the thing that the world is going to look to to see what his love looks like. Wow. This seems to matter a lot to Jesus, that we're united, and not just in a superficial way, but in a way where we're becoming more like him in the process. So how do we do this? Jesus is setting up what the shape of a united community that's becoming one with him looks like, and he's reminding us of the importance of it because the world is gonna see his perfect love through us as a community. There are options for ways that we can shape our community to try to look like Jesus is asking us to behave and to be and to become. I wanna take us on a bit of a journey over the next 10 minutes or so. It's not gonna be a hugely deep dive, and it's a conversation we need to keep having as a church. But we can explore some of the different options we have for how we can shape ourselves as a community, how we can interpret and engage with the environment around us as a church family. A couple of months ago, Carmen introduced us to this concept of being a centered set community with Jesus at the center. And these aren't ideas that we've just made up. A missional anthropologist named Paul Hebert actually introduced some of this thinking a few decades ago. And other really great scholars and teachers have unpacked it and fleshed it out in the years since then. One of them, his name is Mark Baker. This is a book that Mark wrote called Centered Set Church. And I had the privilege of journeying with Mark as he wrote this book and engaging with him along the way. There's some wonderful ideas in there for what it means to be a church that's centered on Jesus, and how it's both consistent with Jesus' call for us, but very practical for us as well. And sometimes en route to understanding an aspirational vision like that, it's helpful to also explore the other ways that we could shape our community. And we don't do this with a sense of pride or having arrived, or judgment for others. We do this humbly seeing ourselves in these different kinds of shapes of a community and aspiring to be the one that looks most like the way Jesus has called us to live. So let's start with understanding a few of the options we have and how we can shape ourselves as a Jesus-centered community. Some of you might be familiar with the language of a bounded-set community. Now this. It could apply to anything. It could apply to sorting fruit between apples and oranges. It can apply to math, whatever the case. But we're talking about applying this as a church community. Which is really its original intent. So we've got an image here of what a bounded set might look like. The idea in a bounded set of individuals who form a community is that there's a boundary that determines who's inside that community and who's outside that community. And that boundary, typically in a church community context, consists of our beliefs and our behaviors. And sometimes they act like a bit of a scroll at the front gate to say, hey, en route to belonging, these are the beliefs and behaviors that we need one another to adhere to. And what happens in a bounded set community is the energy, then, is placed on that boundary. It's placed on establishing and maintaining and sustaining that boundary. Those rules of engagement, be they beliefs, be they behaviors. And of course, transformation can happen in a community like that because God is good and He's always doing good work. But transformation and movement towards anything in particular, once you're inside that community, is not really inherently motivated in a bounded set environment. It's not conducive to continued movement once you're in the community. It's not as conducive to transformation. And what it actually tends tends to end up emphasizing is judgment, even if it's it's polite judgment. And many of us have grown up in bounded-set church communities. It's real. And the kind of unity, if we were to map back to John 17, that we tend to experience in a bounded-set community is a unity of what? Of beliefs and behaviors. But not necessarily as much of a unity of being together on a journey of transforming towards oneness with Jesus. So that's a bounded-set environment. Interestingly, what often happens in bounded-set environments is we wake up one day and we say, hey, all these rules and these boundaries, something doesn't feel good about it because it's breeding judgmentalism, and it's not necessarily conducive to transformation of my heart. And so what have we done many times in the past? We have removed those boundaries altogether as churches. Say, hey, well, let's get rid of the boundary then, and let's get rid of the rules. And we might call that a fuzzy set. A fuzzy set. Where there's a vestige of what once was a boundary, but we've removed it, and instead what we've replaced it with is tolerance. Now, there's nothing wrong with tolerance, is there? Tolerance is a good thing. But can we agree that tolerance in the context of a relational community is a very low bar? How many of you, I'm even going to dare you to put your hand up, because I'm going to hope that there's zero hands that go up. How many of you have looked at a close friend, or a family member, or a partner, and said, you, I tolerate you. (laughs) (laughs) Hands up. Who said that to someone you love recently? Oh, I see a hand. Someone has said it. Maybe we do say that from time to time. It's a low bar for a community that's trying to actually love one another. I'll take love over tolerance any day of the week. What tends to happen in a fuzzy environment is membership in that community becomes unclear because we have no common purpose, no common destination that we're working towards together. And tolerance becomes the ultimate virtue. And what actually happens is, we can end up hurting one another because we don't give each other the ability to speak truth to one another in love, in a fuzzy set environment. And unity tends to be the kind of unity that says, hey, don't rock the boat, and let's just agree to disagree. And transformation is not conducive in a fuzzy set environment because tolerance actually opposes transformation by its very virtue and definition. You be you, I'll be me, and we'll coexist together. Can I challenge us to say that's actually a low bar for a community trying to become more like Jesus? There's more at stake than that. The other option is for us to be a centered community or a centered set of people with Jesus at the center of our community. And in a centered set community, the two things that matter most to us are, which direction are we facing? And in our case, who are we facing towards? And our direction of motion, are we actually moving? And the energy in a centered set environment is placed where? It's placed in the center. And for us, that center is Jesus. It's not Jesus only. The beauty of Jesus is that he brings the Trinity into focus. When we look at Jesus, he told us himself in John 12, 45, that we see the Father. So placing Jesus at the center means when we look at Jesus, he reveals to us the full glory and beauty of the Father. And the Spirit is who he's left with us to be with us along the way, alive and present in our midst and in our hearts, transforming us on the journey towards becoming more like Jesus. Being Jesus-centered means we bring that beauty of the Trinity into focus, and we walk towards Jesus with the Holy Spirit in our midst. So this environment is conducive to transformation because that's the whole goal, is that we're facing Jesus and walking towards him together. And here's the beauty. Our differences become assets along the way, not a problem because this environment and the shape of community allows us to look at one another as image-bearers of God who are also both broken, learning from one another, even in our disagreements, even in our tensions, wrestling with the same things with one another as we walk closer and closer to Jesus together. It doesn't just allow for that to happen as an accident. It sets up a paradigm where that's the whole point. It allows us to deal with those who are hurt in our community with love because it allows us to see one another and invite each other to bring our whole selves into a community and not pretend. Not engage in the silence of tolerance. But not to just put up a facade of adhering to rules and beliefs either. And look, if we can put that centered set image back up there, there's some people facing the other direction. We have free agency. And sometimes all of us choose to walk the other way. In a centered set environment, it gives us an ability to see one another when that happens and to gently encourage and invite one another back on the journey towards Jesus. Because we're being honest about who we are and what's happening in our lives and not just trying to adhere to rules or to exchange in the currency of tolerance. This isn't just academic babble. This is a real opportunity for how we can shape ourselves as a Jesus-centered community. And again, we see ourselves in all of these different shapes. But this is what we aspire to, is to put Jesus at the center of our church. Sometimes understanding what these things look like in our real life is helpful. And I wanted to share with you A pretty brief but really powerful story from my recent past of a woman who I met. I don't know her that well, but I have got to know her a little bit. We met at a church event with some leaders who were processing some of these ideas together a couple years ago. And before I tell you her brief story, I want you to think about something that's really important to you and your circle of friends or your family. Where when it comes up, the pulses start getting a little bit higher, the tension starts to grow a little bit in the room. And maybe it's an issue that's not just important, but it also intersects with your faith or with your faith journey or your spirituality. So, okay, now we're talking exponential tension in the room. So think about that. Maybe you've already got that idea right on the top of your mind. Maybe you need a second to think about it, but maybe it's money. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's a justice-related issue. Whatever that issue is for you, I want you to think about that and the conversations you've had about that issue or, or that you may have in the future about that issue with your family or your friends. So she was dealing with one of those issues that was very core to her family. And she was struggling to relate to her daughter on this particular issue. And they both saw things a very different way. And they were both interested in following Jesus. And what she realized is that discipleship for her, the process of spiritual formation for her, had actually become about politely arguing with her daughter and both of them trying to convince each other who was right over the period of multiple years. Proving to each other why their ideas were more scripturally rooted Again, in the context of love, but that was essentially the point she acknowledged and finally realized. And when she encountered this kind of thinking, she said it changed her entire life, and through tears, across a Zoom screen, explained to me and others that she realized that her job is not to convince her daughter, and vice versa, of what the right answer is, all the while not listening at all to the person on the other side of the argument, can I get an amen? Amen. But she realized that her job is to submit her identity to the way of Jesus and to invite, in this case, her daughter to do the same thing. Say, are we both willing, instead of trying to convince each other what the right answer is, to walk towards Jesus together and to lay everything else down? And it changed Her relationship with her daughter fundamentally. And you know what? She didn't have to give up her convictions along the way. In fact, in a centered set community, our convictions, biblically-rooted understanding of who Jesus is and the truth of Jesus and what he's saying to us, become even more important because they're the center of gravity. They're the place we're moving. We need to do our homework. We need to pray. We need to read scripture. We need to understand who he is in community. But we also, and get this, we also trust that he's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. He is going to convict us along the way. He is going to guide us through the Holy Spirit along the way. Do we really believe he'll do that if we submit to him and walk towards him at the center, even in our differences? Or do we not trust him enough, which tends to yield us feeling like it's our job to force each other to believe the right thing along the way? I find that convicting. But I'm inspired by it. I'm inspired by that, as the shape of a community that we can be together. I might have said it once before in the last 15 minutes, but it's worth saying again. This is not an exercise in us puffing ourselves up in pride and patting ourselves on the back for the shape of the community that we are. It's an exercise in us seeing ourselves in all of these different possibilities, the good and the bad. And being Jesus-centered isn't the sexy way to do church that makes us better than others. This isn't the day where we say, Thanks, Jesus, that we've got it right. It's a day where we say, Jesus, we're surrendering to you and placing you at the center because we're desperate for you and you're our only hope. The first few lines of the Beatitudes are so beautiful and powerful, aren't they? In Matthew 5. Jesus paints a picture for us that says what? When you're at the end of yourself, when you are face to face with your brokenness, when you are mourning the things you've lost, when you are ready to walk humbly, guess what? You've arrived at the front door of the kingdom. (sighs) And just like the father of the prodigal son, he's not there waving his finger at us. He's opening his arms at the front door of that kingdom saying, you finally arrived. And I just can't wait to hug you and forgive you and give you my grace and my mercy and invite you into the kingdom. So that's my prayer for us this morning that we would enter into this next leg of our journey as a church with that posture of surrender to Jesus and we talked about some invitations last week, and I want to continue that this week, and I want to invite us into being and becoming and being part of a church, or even in our differences, we're committed to uniting around Jesus and our oneness with him as we walk towards him together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, your wisdom. We thank you for the privilege of being a church community together, for being made in your image, yet also knowing that we're broken, and we thank you that we we desperately need you. And then when we turn to you, we're met with those arms, open wide, wanting to love and embrace us. Will you help us, Jesus? Will you help us to be and become the kind of church you're calling us to be with you at the center? We pray these things in your name. Amen.